0: Listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Arise, shine, for your light has come, sings the prophet Isaiah. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you, for darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will appear over you. This is a deeply hopeful text written to an Israel that had known the complete upheaval of its old life under the iron rule of the Babylonian Empire. When Babylon had taken the leading citizens of Jerusalem and sent them away into exile, There would have been some who would have wondered if there would ever be another new day. Recall those lines from Psalm 137 By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion, Jerusalem. And how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How could we possibly sing the Lord's song here in captivity with word now coming to us of the smoldering remains of the once glorious city of Jerusalem? How? It's over. We're finished. God has clearly left us. Of course, the brilliant irony is that to give voice to this pain, the psalmist sings a song. A song that laments that it it just isn't possible to sing anymore. And yet it must be possible. It is possible. Then all those years later, when the time comes to return home to Jerusalem, to begin the hard work of rebuilding a shattered city, a broken temple, Isaiah again raises a song. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Your light has come again. But you know, that light seems to come and go. To flicker and smolder, then to burn brightly again, and then back to smoldering. Israel's journey as God's people is not easy. Because God asks of them a covenant faithfulness that often seems to elude them. And they stumble forward, often In the dark. This passage tonight from the Gospel according to Matthew finds them very much in the dark. The Roman Empire is in power. The wily King Herod serving the role of a state sanctioned local king. A bit of a puppet king is old Herod, his power precariously dependent on the approval of Rome. To hold that power, he has to quell anything that looks like a challenge to his rule. It is simply the political reality in which he lives. Then these magi arrive, probably from what is now Iran, famously inquiring, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? We observed his star at its rising. We've come to pay him homage. When Herod hears this question, Matthew tells us, he was frightened, terrified. It says something about just how precariously he holds his power. And it's not only Herod, but all Jerusalem with him. And here, Stanley Howerwuss comments So all Jerusalem with him is fearful, indicating that Herod's rule is possible because the fear of those he rules makes Herod's rule seem necessary. And like all who rule by fear, the last thing Herod or those he rules wants is to be surprised. It cannot therefore be good news that strangers appear believing that a king has been born. Life in that part of the world was not easy, and for all of their wealth, the men like Herod know that it could all be lost in a flash. An uprising, a pretender king, a restless rebel group or whatever might be. Topple the precarious balance they have struck with Rome. And so Herod steadies his nerve against his anxious fear and he turns to consult the local scholars, the Jewish scholars, again from Hauerwas. Herod calls to him the chief priests and scribes, not always his natural allies, and inquires where the Messiah is to be born. They are the intellectuals of the day, educated, as intellectuals usually are, to serve those in power. And isn't that a statement? That intellectuals are usually educated to serve those in power. But I think Hauerwas is on to something, particularly when it comes to the power of tyrants and dictators. Then he continues they the chief priests and scribes know their bible and like many who know their bible in our day know how to read the bible in a manner most useful to suit their rulers desires huh like many who know the bible in our day they know how to read it in a manner that is most useful to suit their rulers Which is, I mean, that's a provocative statement. But then, if you scan back over the centuries, you can see it has been all too often true. The ways in which the Bible and our faith have been used to justify all manner of political and social disasters is stunning. At the same time, a call to always look hard at our own religious assumptions particularly in politically divisive times. Yet for all that the scribes give to Herod a teaching about Bethlehem. Herod passes that along to the Magi, adding his own canny little instruction that if they happen to find the newborn king, they should come back and tell him so he can go and worship too. Off they go to Bethlehem. There they do find Mary and the baby living in a house, not a stable notice, but in a house, which suggests that in Matthew's mind, this is weeks after the birth. They knelt down and paid him homage, after which they presented their regal gifts. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Well, the story does continue from there, detailing the desperate acts of the tyrant King Herod. But on this day, on Epiphany, we stop at the moment of their departure. And here I just ask on this evening, on which we will baptize a wee little child, what does all of this have to say to her parents and her grandparents and the godparents and to all of us? Here in Canada, we don't live in the depths of darkness of something like the Babylonian exile or the iron rule of the empire and its puppet King Herod. I mean, these have not been easy years, and there's tough times, certainly, but, but not like those. Our world does know some pretty deep darkness, and there are many right now who live on the very edge of what feels like a complete collapse But largely here in this country, what is it that these texts have to say about baptism? Well, they say to mom and dad and grandparents and godparents and those close to her, raise her to be a seeker. The magi were stargazers, and when they saw this unusual in the star in the sky, they dared to follow May she always have that courage, too, to dare to seek. Raise her to hear our deep stories. The Magi could only get so far by following a star in the sky. What they needed to complete their journey was the wisdom of the deeper scriptural texts. So remember that and tell her those stories raise her to dare to look twice at the various Herods who she will see along the way, sitting in positions of power and privilege and attempting to bend the arc of justice away from those who most need justice and turning it toward their own selfishness. We need people who will dare to look twice And to have the courage to live differently in a world that desperately needs a different path. Epiphany blessings on you, little one, and on those who love you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we will now sing, and I'll gather with the baptismal party at the back. I think we should stand to sing and bid adieu to those who have joined us online as this song winds down. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalogue of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.